Hey, what's going on, comrade? It's Josh Wilder, and I hope the sun is shining and the sky is blue wherever you are in the world. And welcome to the Playwrights Workshop Podcast. Wherever the playwright is, so are we. What's going on, everybody? Um, It has been such a long time since I made a recording, since I really kind of put my voice out there when it comes to the workshop. Um, So I just want to thank you so much for your continued support. And uh, here we go. Y'all, we have a season. We have a season. We have a season. It's the first season, the inaugural season of the Playwrights Workshop. And I'm so, so, so excited to share this with y'all. It has been years in the making and uh, we finally made something happen. So first I wanna say thank you to everybody who has signed up for a class, who has taken class, who has uh, taught what they learned in class to others, who spread the word about the workshop. Y'all, we are a growing organization and uh, I'm proud to announce that we are now fiscally sponsored by Fracture Atlas a 501c3 charity so we are able to receive donations grants all the things that need to happen in order to make a theater company run so here's just a little about the playwrights workshop that i want to read to you all um you know because i'm pretty sure it's on the website but here's our mission okay so our mission for the playwrights workshop right we are dedicated to the discovery and development of playwrights we serve as a training ground for all backgrounds ages and experiences we strive to take every play and audience member from the page to the stage our goal is to create community and make theater accessible we are a virtual writers theater wherever the playwright is located so are we In the summer of 2019, I finally got my driver's license and headed south for a new job at a major university. It's my first visiting professor gig. I mean, it's got salary, benefits, the whole nine, and I could potentially move up. I've been adjuncting in Philly at a university that I really loved because I'm from Philly after all, but I wanted something more secure, something more sustainable. Teaching takes a lot out of you and I wanted to be fairly compensated, just like any worker. So when I got the offer, it was too hard not to pass up. I followed my gut and I moved. As I'm driving down 95 South, I keep saying to myself, this is where I'm going to get my life set up. This is where I'm going to settle down and do all these things. Maybe I'll even buy a house. Just like any average American millennial, I wanted to find my spot and be okay. Fall semester was brutal, but I learned a lot. I also learned that I wasn't really prepared to be an employee of a university. I wasn't ready for the system and I couldn't wait to get out. (laughs) Being a young teacher in a department can be tricky if you're not prepared. I was the enthusiastic rebel 
constantly questioning and critiquing my department's moves while also trying to add a different perspective on the curriculum. I came in the room guns ablaze and found myself on my own island of ideas for months. I just didn't know how to conform. And after that initial semester and maybe some sour relationships, I figured I didn't want to be in the South anymore. I didn't want to be in my apartment. I didn't want to be restless. You know, what's so great about the South is the environment. It really encourages you to sit and think, to breathe and rest up and recharge. I mean, my whole damn educational life has consisted of me being on my toes, reminding me that success had to be obtained with this great sense of urgency. So here I am feeling unsuccessful at something that I really loved. I was failing at being a successful teacher. I remember looking up at the sky, pleading with the universe, get me out of here. A few months later, it's spring semester, April 2020. I get an email that my job was cut. <laughs> I get a visit from my landlord informing me that they were moving back in and wanted me out. <laughs> and let's not forget about this new respiratory virus that's killing folks by the minute. I mean, I knew I wanted to get out the South, but damn, this was brutal. Well, wishes come true in a multitude of ways. Do me a favor. Go grab a pen or a pencil and a piece of paper and be right back. Okay, so listen, I want you to think about a character in your play. This character may not be on the page yet. They still might be the voice in your head. Just take a breath and focus on them for a minute. Now, write this question down. How does your character behave on survival mode? Answer that question with a 10 page scene. Just see what happens. If you want me to read it, send it to scripts at theplaywrightsworkshop.com. Make sure you title the email survival mode and don't forget to title your play and add your contact information on the first page of the script. Okay, okay. You got a writing prompt out of me already. But if you really want to know what's good, sign up for our Playwrights Bootcamp December 10th through the 31st. Bring in the new year with a new play. The Playwrights Workshop is dedicated to developing playwrights, and the best way to be a part of us is to join us. Now, let me get back to the story of how this all began. So, I really am a teacher. Part of my nature is showing people how to do things. It's just who I am. I've been teaching since I got my first Dell home computer back in 2000. My first student was my mom, and she did not want to be left behind in this new technology revolution back in 2000. So I naturally had to show her what these computers were all about. I learned how to be patient, how to repeat myself in different ways, how to wait for the information to sink in, how to show and not tell. And most importantly, I learned how to lead by example. I loved teaching. I especially love teaching theater. I got my first taste of that 
when I was at the Philadelphia High School for Creative and Performing Arts. Our theater teacher, Ms. Bass, would select certain students to lead warm-up during movement class. Nothing too crazy, just jumping jacks and some crunches. But even that did something for me. And it made me love having an arts education even more. Is doing what you love a form of survival mode? I feel like it can be sometimes. I mean, teaching is my survival job. So I just got cut from my job and now I got to figure out my life. I'm at the whiteboard writing on my little designated section on the wall that I painted. You know, maybe I should learn how to teach online. I mean, that's what all those faculty meetings were about when I had a job. I mean, everybody is at home on quarantine. The students still need to learn. I might as well get ahead of the curve. You know, there comes a time as an artist when you realize that you are your own boss. Nine times out of 10, we have to create and sustain our own jobs in order to live. All of the greats have done it in some kind of capacity. And to me, that is simply the genius of creativity. And I was too creative to sit at home bored and broke. So I was going to create a TV studio in my apartment. I painted the whole damn wall with whiteboard paint from ceiling to floor. I bought some markers, a microphone, a ring light, and a subscription to this new app called Zoom. It wasn't an easy process, but I figured out the mechanics by just sending out Zoom links and seeing who was down to watch me teach. I did a few demos with friends and even some strangers. Have you ever been Zoom bombed? <laughs> that was an experience that I'll never forget. Still, after much trial and tribulation, I had a curriculum that fit the virtual learning experience. For me, it was a perfect way to use both my degrees from all those fancy schools I attended. On one hand, I'm a teacher. The other, I'm an actor-producer. Now, contrary to Kanye's famous lyrics on College Dropout, my degrees were going to keep me warm, okay? So, here's some word of advice for you fresh MFA candidates. Teaching is performance. And now that I had my own teaching show, I needed to test it out in front of an audience. Hey folks, are you looking for a playwriting course for college credit? Then sign up for my class at Playwright Center University. Go to www.pwcenter.org for more details. And hopefully I'll be seeing you in the spring 2024 semester. Now back to the podcast. The National Theater Institute is one of my favorite places to teach. For a few years, I used to go there every semester to teach playwriting to students from all over the country. NTI is a conservatory training program for young artists, and they bring some of the most brilliant minds to share what they know with their students. In May, I turned on my camera and taught a class on the first scene of Lorraine Hansberry's A Raisin in the Sun. So after a few days with the NTI students, I was ready to take my show on the road, but I didn't know where just yet. All I knew was that I was tired. <laughs> After a long day of teaching on Zoom, I just passed out. My eyes burnt out from the screens. And then sometimes 
I have a dream. Me and Juanita was on a sunny road with palm trees. I woke up. Palm trees? I know damn well it ain't Florida. California? Hmm. I'm going to go to California. I packed up everything I had and left. I didn't tell anybody where I was going. I just disappeared. Me and Juanita, that's my car, was on the road for three days. Though I was driving into the unknown from the East Coast to the West Coast, this road trip provided an incredible amount of peace. It also just gave me time to think and figure things out. I had no idea what I was doing. All I knew was that I had a small community out in L.A. So when I got to Phoenix for a much-needed pit stop, I finally had to phone a friend who happened to be out the country and needed a sublet. The timing couldn't be more perfect. I finally reached my destination in a small Koreatown apartment. I absolutely loved L.A. The sun was shining and the sky was blue every single day. It was quiet. Beautiful, and nobody was outside. It felt so good being isolated. I mean, we were in quarantine after all. After about a week of adjusting to the time zone, I started getting restless again. I went online and saw my dear colleague Olivia was stage managing a reading on Zoom and how excited it was for her to figure things out and still keep the theater alive. And quite frankly, I wanted to keep the theater alive too. So I gave her a call about this idea I had about a writer's workshop. I just wanted to test it out. And Olivia was down, as always. So I created a curriculum, made a small advertisement, and put it out there on social media, especially on Facebook. I just put it out there and took a deep breath. And just like that, 10 writers responded. I could work with that. And that's how the Playwrights Workshop began. On a cold December night in a rusted over Pennsylvania town, the class of 2003 football team reunite at their high school to watch the next generation win the state championship. Parting behind the bleachers, begging the glory days to return, the old players are haunted by their former coach who seemed to predict their dead-end futures. None of them got over how close they came to becoming champions back then. And tonight, they'll do whatever it takes to win for once in their lives. Okay, so you got a history of the Playwrights Workshop, but I really didn't break down how the Playwrights Workshop works for you. So when you come to us in boot camp, you know, we have our curriculum, we have our guide that we teach, our basic foundations that we teach. Then after that, we kind of graduate to a development process where we are developing your script. It might be one-on-one, it might be in a form of an intensive class with other writers. Um, and then after you have a draft that's basically ready to be heard by an audience, we try to make that happen. And this year for this you know, inaugural season, 
I had the pleasure of producing Ned Doherty's Blue Reunion. Uh, it was in New York City at Alchemical Studios to a packed audience. And uh, let me just share what happened while we were in New York. So, um, hey, hey, what's going on, world? It's Josh Wilder again. And we are in New York City. We are in uh, Union Square Park, and it's the day after the reading of Ned Doherty's Blue Reunion. And uh, I have Ned with us. So, uh, Ned. Good morning. How you doing? Fantastic. All right, cool. Um, first of all, yesterday was very, very exciting. Um, you had, you know, a reading of your play in New York. Um, packed audience. Uh, you know, in Midtown. And uh, you got to hear your play out loud with actors on their feet. Um, how was it? How did it go for you? Like, what was the experience? It was uh, so fulfilling to see my work resonate with the actors, first off. To see professionals in their hometown or their, the place where they're trying to live their dreams, to say that my dreams are worthy of, mm. of them and their work was pretty unbelievable. Um, I live in West Virginia, so this is basically like being on a different planet <laughs> to be in a studio like that right. with them. Um, so that's what, you know, that's what the, this workshop is doing for me is to put me on another planet. It's bringing me mm. into rooms that I just have no access to in rural America. Um, it allows me to, you know, jump from my desk into a studio with actors, um, 400 miles away that's that's an unbelievable gift yesterday was a gift so it was really cool watching you in the room and watch you communicate with the actors watching them ask you questions and you give them answers um were you nervous at all yes absolutely <laughs> i did a i did a low residency mfa that unfortunately didn't prioritize us being in a room with actors mm -hmm. and uh, so basically beyond like independent independently produced things that I did with friends um, that was the first time I've ever been you know offered a question from an actor like that what did you learn well first thing that I learned is that uh, I, I belong in the room because I had an answer to their questions mm -hmm. right off the bat. Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't think that I knew the, the worry was the story in my head, the, the, the train wreck was going to be when someone asked me a question and I stumbled over an answer as if I didn't know my own work, right? Mm -hmm. Like that was the concern. And so that's, again, another piece of the workshop that is like making meaning for me is that I, I, uh, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Right. So, you know, first question is asked. It's like, no, this is what that meant. And if all the it's like a, to use the quarterback metaphor, or like sports metaphor. This is a sports play. Mm -hmm. You just need to you just need like the first you got to see a pitch come down. You got to see the first completion. You got to have your first shot go through the hoop. And then it's like, all right, I'm just I'm just in the game now. That's what I felt. We, we had a talk back after the play where uh, I basically told you not to talk 
but just to listen to the feedback from the audience. Um, can you, I guess, like, how was that experience for you? Uh, did you wish you could talk back to the audience? Was it better that it was silent? Like, just like being in the writer's chair, because essentially, you know, you gave your play to the world and you gave the world a chance to respond. Um, and I'm curious about just like what what was your experience listening to the world respond to what you had to say? Man, so many things come through my head, but one of them is like the way that we have taught, because I'm a high school teacher, the way that we have taught active listening is that you're still listening to respond. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm acknowledging you, I'm making eye contact, I'm writing things down, but it's all still in service of me then not listening anymore and telling you right. <laughs> what, I, what I just heard or like yes. what if you make sense or now I get to speak. So it was really freeing to have a talk back where uh, I did not speak and I was not expected to. I liked that as the as the artist in the room um, because in, inherently to have a to have a reading like this implies more work like that's inherent to the process and I have more work to do and it really doesn't matter how I respond to anybody's question uh, in that moment like that's not the point of this it's for me to take all of that in and I have to process that at my desk at a future date. Mm. And I would have been so much more, especially in New York, again, being a country mouse in the big city, I would have been so much more like in my head about if I sounded smart. And that's not the point. It's about making the play better. So it was freeing for me to just listen and to hear what everybody said. Um, what was the one comment from the audience or an audience member that you remember the most that stuck with you the most? There was a couple Right, give me like three. Okay. One was uh, that um, a woman in the audience from a small town who was, you know, she's a woman, so she would not have been on the football team. She spoke to how it resonated with her small town experience and what she grew up seeing the football team and how they acted. That meant a lot. Because, again, we're in the big city, right? So it's like a, it's like a rural play. That was huge. Um there was two comments that I'll bunch together. One was about the conspirators and if that, you know, there's murder in the play. So, like, the mystery slash the conspiracy around the murder. Those two comments made sense to me. And then um, the fact that people wanted more from certain characters was, I don't know, a lot of it just made made it seem like that I was on the right track mm. the questions themselves were like I want more from this play not like I don't understand this play it wasn't like structural comments right I like okay so like the things there that wasn't structural be, comments yeah the things that need to work work and then the things that they wanted more of was like I want more from this character because I love him mm. mm -hmm. it wasn't even like I, it, he doesn't make sense to me there was a bit of that in there but it was become, coming from a place of I, I think I know what he's going through but I right. want to see that um, so it just felt like it meant, I don't know, the confidence I needed to take from that was that it felt like a tight play to them. It sounded like that's, that's, they enjoyed that aspect of it. And then, um, but the question that you asked during the play, the, the way you facilitated the talkback was how do you feel right now? No questions, just how do you as an audience member feel? So I want to erase everything I just said and say that that's what I will take away. They 
were on edge. They were leaned in. Someone said that they felt defeated, that they felt um, like the story was unresolved, that the like there was a lot of heartbreak in the room, mm-hmm. and it's a heartbreaking play. It's a messy play, and they felt messy, and uh, that was validating. We've been um, talking a lot about how, and the audience too, after, you know, after the talk back in the mingling, um, we were talking about what makes this an American play. What makes this an American play? Um, I think what makes this an American play at its core is that it's for grown adults who are survivors of trauma and abuse. That, unfortunately, seems like our... That's what's in the American water system. Mm. Everybody gets abuse and trauma. And, and, and especially in a place where this is a sports play as well, an American sport, an export to the rest of the world. You know, the Super Bowl is, is not European football right. on the scale of people watch it every week but like everyone knows what American football is and the spectacle of it the violence of it that people play it and die from it later in life it just feels like um, if that so between the abuse and the PTSD and the survivor and not actually like surviving it well surviving that experience as a kid well um, being a broken adult and then using the sports as a lens for that as a glimpse into why we do that to our children Mm. that we need to be winners like the lies that we tell ourselves about like the American experiment that winning is the only thing that matters it has to happen at all costs Um, that you are you are nothing without the team all those sort of things that are can be really destructive in the wrong hands that feels american and which uh uh what was the draft number on this reading it was draft what six this was six okay yep how many drafts do you think you got left if, if you were to guess after this reading i'd say uh three more okay it's it feels that way okay yeah um i guess just something that you want to say to somebody who lives in rural America, who wants to write plays, you know, um, what do you have to say to them? I hope that um, I get to be an example of someone who they can look up to. I hope that I get to use my writing career as a way to get into teaching and finding the next great American playwright in Appalachia or the Southwest where I used to live um, that you don't need to live in New York in this day and age to get discovered um, and right like even if this is it like I don't believe this is it for this play but like even if this is it like this is a bucket list moment for me mm-hmm. to be in New York and have see that red yeah, that our that our stories are valid to rural America's um, a cartoon is just like a walking stereotype to too many Americans. Mm. Uh, we're too easily defined and 
there's a lot more to us that don't live in the big cities and it's not flyover country or there's a lot going on within flyover country mm. and there's a lot of artists a lot of flyover country and um and i want to i want to be an example of uh one of those artists making it i love that um Give us like a, a 30 second history of your involvement with the Playwrights Workshop. How'd you start? Where'd you find us? All that stuff. I found Josh on Twitter. Um, I don't know what you were, you probably were talking about the Eagles, honestly, <laughs> or something about Philly that caught my attention. Because I try to follow as many, go birds. as many, uh, yeah, go birds. I try to follow as many artists as I can in the theater world because I don't have access to networking otherwise. And I don't network well online. I'm just like a lurker. I follow and I see what everybody's doing. Anyway, Josh was posting about teaching online for the Zoom workshop. It was fall of 2020, and I needed it so badly. Um, I needed, even with an MFA, I felt like I had so many gaps in my ability to write a play that I, I, ha I wasn't even sure if I had written a play yet. Mm. And I took, a, let me say this too, I took a lot of classes, a lot of workshops with a lot of writers because everybody was pivoting to online. Yeah, yeah. And there were a lot of people trying to teach online. Yeah. And no one fed me the way you did as a teacher, and no one pushed me. Uh, and I would say us, like, as the room. No one pushed us like you did in your workshop. And so from there, uh, we just kept in touch. You came out to New Mexico and stayed in our house while we were away, so you had a writer's retreat in New Mexico. I sure did. That was the best. Yeah, Taos is perfect for that. Mm -hmm. And um, and then the pandemic and life brought me to West Virginia and you to Baltimore, so now we're still kind of like a, a big drive apart, but we feel <laughs> close. Um, yeah. So, yeah, man, uh, it started from just following you on Twitter and seeing that you were teaching a workshop and uh, working my ass off in service yes. of you. Because you can take as many classes as you want, but if you don't work, I work, so, I, I, I work so hard at writing and telling stories. It's therapy for me. It's, and if nothing were to happen in life creative, creatively or like any kind of like accomplishment, like I'm a better man for my lady. I'm a better dad for my kids. Because I work hard at my desk. Mm. And um, that is the initial reward, that I can work hard at my desk and be present with them. And then all of this is icing on the cake. But I want more icing. You want more icing? I want way more icing. You know what's so funny what you said about... And that really resonates. Like, you took... It doesn't matter how many classes you take. What matters is the work that you put in at your desk. Yeah. That's going to sit with me for a while. And I think I'm going to end it there. Ned Doherty is a playwright and poet living in Appalachia. His plays have been featured in theater festivals from Dublin to Albuquerque and independently produced in his previous home of Taos, New Mexico. He is under commission from the Greenbrier Valley Theater to develop a new play for elementary students across West Virginia. His writing has been supported by Forge NYC, Somos, the Tao Center for the Arts, and the Playwrights Workshop. He is a member of the Tamarack Foundation for the Arts and a former faculty member for the Taos Writers Conference. In 2015, Ned was named the New Mexico Charter School Teacher of the Year. 
and he has presented at numerous national education conferences with his students. He is a two-time Fund the Teacher Fellow and currently is teaching in Pocahontas County, West Virginia. Ned also holds an MFA from Augsburg University. All right, folks, we've been talking for too long. It's time to go. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for listening to the pilot episode of the Playwrights Workshop podcast. And just a reminder, if you want to take class with us, we have our Playwrights Bootcamp December 10th through the 31st. Bring in the new year with a new play. Once again, this is Josh Wilder, and I hope the sun is shining and the sky is blue wherever you are in the world. And stay tuned for the next episode. Peace.